Hey everyone, Dr. Pat and I would personally like to invite you to join us in our Grow My Baby program. This is week-by-week pregnancy and birth information developed from our experience of helping more than 4,000 women grow and birth their babies. All our links are on our website, growmybaby.com.au. If you're trying to get pregnant or you are pregnant and you feel a little bit overwhelmed by all you need to know, then this is the right podcast for you. Welcome to the show. I'm Bridget Maloney. And I'm obstetrician Dr. Patrick Maloney. And this is The Kick, your expert-led podcast that delivers the essentials of growing a baby. Make sure you head to our website, growmybaby.com.au, to get some awesome free tools like our Pregnancy Knowledge Checker to help you feel like you got this. Well, welcome everyone. This is episode 13 of the Kick Pregnancy Podcast, and we're so glad to have you here listening. Uh, We are incredibly enthused by the response that we're getting from all our listeners out there, and and know that you can either contact us via our Instagram page at grow underscore my underscore baby, just send us a DM, or we also have an email address, info at growmybaby.com.au. All right, so this is what you need to know about Down syndrome screening. So everyone, this podcast isn't about whether you should or shouldn't test for disability or whether you should avoid or accept a child with a disability. And we'll put some links into the show notes for genetic counsellors for that. But it is about informing and empowering women to make conscious decisions about their pregnancy. So welcome, Pat. I've been looking forward to this one because in my day-to-day clinical practice, this is something that I think is really um, not well understood by people, sometimes by uh, patients and sometimes by care providers. I think it's really important that we get this right and that we give people choice, choice to have it, choice to not have it. Uh, If they're going to have it, which test do they want? What are the pros and cons of the various tests? Yeah, because it's not actually, it's an optional test, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So this isn't one of the ones that when you first go to your GP and say I'm pregnant, you know, and they spit the thing of tests out of their computer, so go and have this blood test. This is not on there. This is a separate, different one. Yeah, Um, and uh, about 80% of women choose to have a Down syndrome screening test. Yeah, not everybody. It's not for everybody. But, um, yeah, the, the Victorian figures are about 80%. Yeah, good. All right, so you mentioned that there's a couple of different tests that we can choose from. Yep. Perhaps if we talk about the first one. Yeah, so the one that was uh, is still in common use and was certainly in very common use when I first started in obstetrics was something called a combined first trimester aneuploidy screen. The word aneuploidy means the wrong number of chromosomes. So for our purposes today, we'll talk about it being for Down syndrome screening. Down syndrome, of course, three copies of chromosome 21. Um, But there are some other chromosomal disorders that are also tested for by by these tests. The combined first trimester screening involved having a blood test at 10 weeks and an ultrasound at 12 weeks that measures the thickness of the neck of the little um, fetus and the woman's age. And those three pieces of information would be uh, fed into a, an enormous computer database where hundreds of thousands of other pregnancies have already been considered and um, your results are compared to the results of other people where the outcome's already known. And it's hard because it all seems to be kind of about probability and, and one of that is how common are these diseases? Well, if we look at Down syndrome as a good example, it depends on the mother's age and there's no doubt 
that Down syndrome um, is much more common when the woman is over 40 at the time of conception. But there aren't that many women over 40 who are conceiving in the first place. So even though the risk of Down syndrome goes up with the woman's age, most women who have a pregnancy affected by Down syndrome are in their 20s because those women are having most of the babies. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So is there a number we can put on? Well, your background risk in, in your 20s might be in the order of one in a thousand. And the background risk when you're 44 might be in the range of one in 50. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's a big difference, isn't it? Uh, yeah. yeah, enormously. But it's less likely to have a baby at 44 than you are at 24. Yes, yeah. that's right. So does in that, is it, well, it's important for all ages to consider this test or do you think it's more specific to a particular age? Well, I think that it's something that should be offered to absolutely everybody because everybody's at some risk. And I think also it's up to the woman, it's up to the couple what they consider to be an acceptable risk for them. Yeah. Okay, we shouldn't be telling people what to do in this regard. So even if we've got someone who's pregnant at 21 whose background risk, background is the risk you carry before you're ever tested, okay? Um, the, their background risk might be very low, but it's not zero. And for that person, having a test might be the right thing to do. Yeah, and so why would some people choose not to have the test? Uh, people might choose not to have the test for reasons of expense and also for reasons of um, their attitude to, for example, determination of pregnancy. So one of the reasons why we might test for some of these uh, disorders is that some people say, well, if I'm carrying a baby that's got XYZ um, genetic condition, then then perhaps I'll have a termination of pregnancy in and if someone feels that they wouldn't have a termination of pregnancy under any circumstances, then they might question the wisdom of having the test in the first place. And someone might choose to have the test, mm -hmm. know that they wouldn't terminate the pregnancy, yes. but it helps them to prepare for the birth of a child with Down syndrome. Absolutely. And I've, I've, I've certainly had this scenario once or twice in my career where people have said, I had the test because I wanted to know, and obviously I was looking for a normal result. But now that I don't have a normal result, I'm still going to carry on with this pregnancy, but I'm going to go and join the Down syndrome society and I'm going to prepare. We're going to make some decisions as a family about what having a, a special baby is going to mean for us. So what sort of uh, counselling or discussion happens with your care provider before you have that test? Or what should your care provider be talking to you about? Yeah, I worry that it's not much mm. uh, that's going on out there. Um, like a lot of tests, we just assume it'll be fine. And it can be an enormous shock to people if it's not. You know, one of the most, um, well, one of the common ones in non-obstetrics is HIV testing out there in the in the real world. Theoretically, if you're having an HIV test, you've probably had some sort of, um, you know, uh, accident or exposure or, or are at some sort of risk or you wouldn't be having the test in the first place. And we probably should be having a talk about what are we going to do if it's positive. If it's positive, yeah. absolutely. So... Uh, if you um, if you look at uh, pregnancy, I'm sure we don't do enough discussion about what are we going to do if this is positive. But is there any way to prepare someone for an abnormal result? I, I don't know. Mm. Knowing perhaps what they what they would do with the answer is important. Well, that's what I do do to, for people. I, I when they're thinking about will I have the test or not, I'll sometimes ask them. Well, are there any circumstances in which you would consider termination of pregnancy? And if they say yes, well, so we'll fine, have the test. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, cost is a block to some people. Um, th these are, these are not funded tests; they cost money. Okay, so do we know how much? Yeah, the first trimester combined one, the one that the first one we were just talking about, it costs about two hundred dollars. Right. All right. Now, these are not usually done as a funded test through a hospital. Even if you're a public patient in a public hospital, they're not normally 
giving people a slip for this test. Uh, much more commonly, you would go to your local doctor, say I'm pregnant, they'd give you a form saying, uh, right, we're going to have the usual, fir- usual first trimester blood test, you know, the one with the blood group and haemoglobin and rubella status, hepatitis B, um, HIV syphilis. And uh, we've discussed that another day and then the local docs might say well we're going to send you to the public clinic for your baby but you're not going to get in there till you're 17 weeks go and have a first trimester combined screen yeah um but there's a bill yeah and pathology collector the, the 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 laboratory that puts it all together and spits the answer out and the ultrasound provider yeah um that actually raises a good point too so when do i need to have this test by yeah so this one is 10 weeks for the bloods 12 weeks for the uh, what's called the nuchal thickness, which is the, basically the thickness of the baby's neck on ultrasound. And then you get the result at about 13 and a half. Yeah. So for those women that are perhaps going through the antenatal clinic at a public hospital or something, and as you pointed out, mightn't be there until 17 weeks. Yes. It's off their own bat, isn't it? That yes. They, yeah. yeah. You need to know about this yeah. and you need to and you need to be advised about it and, and, and get this organised first. Yeah. Yeah. If you wait for your first visit in the antenatal clinic, it's too late. Yeah. You might have just missed that window. Yeah. Well, we see people who haven't been screened. Right. And then feel like they haven't been given the right sort of information. Yes, and um, whether you know, is that the system? I think it's more the system's fault. Yes, but then of course the patient blames themselves. Yeah. So, in all circumstances, does this test work? Well, no. This isn't a yes or no answer. This test it comes out as a, a risk. So, if we look specifically again at the Down syndrome risk, it will say something like, "In this woman, the risk is one in ten thousand, which would be great," or it might say the risk is one in ten, which would be bad that's high risk yeah yeah and where's the cutoff it's a it's an interesting question where the cutoff is because it to a certain degree it it depends on on a woman or on a couple's perception of risk if you think that um if, if i told you that the risk of um down syndrome for your pregnancy was uh one in 300 there are some people who go beauty that's really low that'll never happen and there are other people who say oh, that's too high that that'll be me i'll be the one yeah yeah and some of that is the the sort of bias that we bring into it in the first place. Yeah, I'm not I'm not comfortable with a one in three hundred. I would need further testing for that. Yes, that, you know that's my personal sort of risk aversion. So most people have a sort of a cut off of around that one in three hundred sort of mark to say if it's higher than that. Okay, like a one in two hundred, one in one hundred, that we should be doing further testing, and that's in the form of a of an amniocentesis. So, can you just tell me what an amniocentesis is? Amniocentesis is a way of finding out for sure, and that's uh, it's a procedure done under ultrasound guidance, where the um, amniocentesis uh, doctor passes a small needle through your belly into the water around the baby under ultrasound guidance so they don't hit the baby and they suck some water out from, from around the baby. And in that water are tons of skin cells that have come off the baby and they, and they, they can be analysed by direct DNA analysis to say yes or no. Yeah, right. And that's what we call the gold standard. That's, that is you know, essentially, essentially 100% um, uh, reliable yes or no answer. Yeah. And if you're looking for something to help you base a decision about termination, for example, it is uh, you have to go and have an amniocentesis? Yes. We we don't um, advise people on termination of pregnancy, for example, on a first trimester combined test that says the risk is one in 10, even if we strongly suspect 
that it's actually a positive test because that's not what a screening test does. So a screening test is a bit like a pap smear. It doesn't tell you what's wrong. It's the biopsy of the cervix that really tells you what's wrong. Tells you what's wrong. Okay. So a screening test is done on a healthy population to try and find people at risk of a problem. But it's not a diagnostic test. No. Yeah. So if you get a high risk first trimester screen, you go off and have an amnio and that's what we go off. And why don't we just do the amnio in the first place? There's risks involved. It's really dear. And people don't want to stick needles in their pregnancies. No. All right, so what happens, though, if I've, I've say, got to 14 weeks and I've probably missed my boat? What, what can I do to find out whether my child might have Down syndrome? Well, there are other tests that can be done, so we should discuss those. So you've only missed the boat for that one particular test. Right, okay. okay. Yeah. There is a, a thing called a second trimester screen, which just uses the blood tests alone. It's got problems with reliability, but it it is available. It's better than nothing. Uh, Problems with accuracy. But in my view, the best of them all is something called an NIPS test, which is non-invasive prenatal screen. Yeah, which some people refer to as the NIPS test. NIPS test or there's a brand name Harmony test. Right. A lot of people know it as that. Yeah. So um, this is is, uh, the best of the screening tests. So it's still a screening test though? Yes, it is, but it's an incredibly reliable one. Okay, so it can be done um, from 10 weeks. It's, all, it's often done in conjunction with an ultrasound, but it's not all, you don't need an ultrasound. And it's just a blood test from the mother. Totally different technology. We've known for a long time that in pregnancy, a small amount of cells from the baby, or more accurately from the placenta, have broken off the placenta and are whizzing around in the woman's circulation. And we've known those cells have been there, but it's only relatively recently that we've been able to catch them and and sort them out from the zillions of the woman's blood cells that are in a, that are in a blood sample and identify the fetal ones and, and analyse them. That's pretty phenomenal, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing technology. So that, that's um, been available, I guess, in Australia for about, I want to say, eight years, something like that. But so it's new. And what chromosomal um, abnormalities does it actually pick up? Well, it can pick up the big ticket ones like abnormalities of chromosome um, 13, 18 and 21. So three of the more common ones. And it can do gender as well. Right. So because they've got some actual DNA to work off, they count up um, X and Ys and, yeah. and, that, and that gives gender. And so how accurate is it for gender? It's very accurate for gender, about 99 Right. Um, and the, the error rate for, the, for, say, Down syndrome is about 1 in 10,000. Yeah. So because of that error rate, I'm assuming that you still have to go and have an amnio. Uh, you do currently. Yeah. yeah. So how do I get this test? Well, this is one that needs to, again, be organised through local doctor or through obstetrician. It costs more money again. So about $400. Right. Um, and if it's done in conjunction with an ultrasound, it might be a little dearer than that as well. Yeah, I don't understand. Why do people, if, if an ultrasound's not necessary, why do they have an ultrasound too? Oh, well, you might just have an ultrasound at the same time um, so that they can have a look at all the rest of your baby um, and make sure it doesn't have any structural abnormalities because you, 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 you could have a fetus that was highly structurally abnormal but still genetically normal. Right. Does that make sense? So the the NIPS screen, uh, test might be falsely reassuring. Right, I see, yeah. yeah. So if you have an ultrasound as well and everything looks right, the bits and pieces are all there, baby's got normal head, normal body and so forth, then that just adds some further reassurance to the normal NIPS result. All right, so I'm a bit confused. If both end up 
giving you a high risk and then both have the next step of needing an amniocentesis kind of anyway. Sure. Why wouldn't I save my money and just do the first trimester screening? Because the NIPS test is more is more accurate. So if NIPS says that there's nothing wrong, there's almost certainly nothing wrong. Right, okay. Whereas the the first trimester screening might give you a false negative there's a there is a there's a, a false negative and there are false positives and in, in general terms the nips is more accurate overall all right i'm going to really pin you to a decision here so i'm a bit over making decisions i'm also feeling quite sick in my first trimester as an obstetrician what will you recommend me to have i think the money spent on an nips test is some of the best money you'll spend in pregnancy right okay so you send most of your patients Certainly. all of them yeah. yep but pretty much all of them. Yeah. This is a big ticket item for people. Yeah. Okay. And it doesn't. It's not a discussion about whether you would or wouldn't terminate a pregnancy with a with an abnormality. It's about people's desire to know that things are okay, and nothing will tell you that like a like a, a you know at ten weeks like a normal NIPS test. It's going to rule out some really big ticket problems. Yeah. And and then if a problem is found. Another advantage of NIPS compared to combined first trimester is that you'll get the result usually within a couple of days. So if there's a major problem, you you will know right at the start of pregnancy when it could be confirmed early. And if you did want to proceed to termination of pregnancy, the earlier the better. Yeah. Whereas the first trimester, I'm hearing that you have the first, the blood test at 10 weeks, yeah. the ultrasound at 12 weeks, mm. and then you probably wait, what, a couple of days? Or, yeah, it yeah. takes it takes longer for the result to come. Yeah. So that um, you might get that result at 13 and a weeks. half, okay. and then you get an amniocentesis organised. You might not have the, f- the full confirmation till 15 or so weeks. Yeah, wow. And you're more out into that territory where if you did want to have a termination of pregnancy, that would be by induced birth rather than a surgical termination of pregnancy. Whereas um, what we've been looking for for many years is a highly accurate, highly reliable test that can be done early in the pregnancy so that, God forbid, there was an abnormality and we could say to that couple, you know, if you want a termination of pregnancy on the basis of that, it can be done at an earlier stage of pregnancy, which is overall less traumatic. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to have a NIPS if that was me. (laughs) I'm not going to have any more babies, but if that was me and we'd go down and have a NIPS test. So I would go to my GP or probably my GP. You probably haven't started seeing an obstetrician yet. Well, one of the reasons I see my new patients right on 10 weeks is so that if they haven't had one, I can organise it. Yeah, right. So I go to my GP and they give me a slip to go and have a blood test at the local lab. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I pay the money there. Yep. Yep. Um, and then I just wait. Yeah. And they'll inform you of the result, um, usually within a few days. All right. In the very early days of this, it was only available in America. So uh, it was firstly commercially available in California. So we were doing it, collecting the blood. They'd send it on a uh, flight overnight. Oh, no, really? Yeah, to, uh, to, to a lab in California. And they would do it and then email back the result. Actually, this raises that point. So, yes, this the labs are a commercial operation. Yep. And quite often people think that doctors recommend things because there's some kickback or some affiliation, but we're just here to say that there's no affiliation with any of these clinical no, labs, are there? No, the guys who run the guys who run uh, first trimester screening is the Victorian Clinical Genetic Service, and they 
they're they're part of the Royal Children's Hospital. So, I mean, they charge for their time and they charge for the cost of providing the test. Uh, and then the, the the NIPS providers, there's a few of those, and they're in commercial labs, which are private companies. Um, and we we want them to be in more labs and drive the price down. Drive the price down. That'd be yeah. fantastic, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yep. And uh, can someone shop around? Yeah, you can shop around. You can ask a few providers. Yeah. So, um, but um, what I'm um, hoping is that as the NIPS cost approaches the cost of the other test, we'll stop doing the other test. Yeah. And wouldn't it be great even if it was funded? Well, it, w- it would be great <laughs> if it was funded. There's some interesting politics behind all of that, but um, it's not yet. No. All right, everyone. Well, I think we've covered the first trimester screening for Down syndrome. Um, if you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast. Uh, while you're there, give us a five-star rating. And if you're feeling particularly sort of on top of the world, then just give us a review. We love reading what listening to our podcast has meant for them. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. All right. So bye for now. Bye for now.